Welcome to all of you here and joining us online today. I'd like you to imagine this situation. Imagine a man just bought a shiny brand new Jaguar and was taking it for a test drive in his quiet, out-of-the-way neighborhood alongside a park. He was feeling on top of the world, completely absorbed by learning how it handled, content with his prize and his place in life, when suddenly out of nowhere flew a brick and it dented the hood of his brand new car. Furious, he slammed on the brakes, jumped out, and grabbed the kid by the scruff of the neck who threw it, screaming at him, what do you think you're doing? Only then did he notice the boy was sobbing. I couldn't get your attention. My brother's hurt. He needs help right now. The man looked up and suddenly noticed a few feet from him was a boy unconscious and bleeding, wrapped up on a mangled bike next to a broken ramp. And in that moment, in shame, the man realized some things were more important than his shiny new car. He'd been so absorbed in himself, someone had to throw a brick to wake him up. Have there been any bricks thrown into your life lately? Any wake-up calls to pay attention to what's around you? They usually aren't very fun. They can be annoying, sometimes painful. But strangely enough, they can also be a gift. And as we continue with our series, Trust Issues, we're learning about how unpacking our trust in God and how it grows when we confess to God our issues with trusting Him and invite God into those issues to do His work in us. And I think sometimes our issues with trusting God come from us feeling that we just don't really need Him at all. I've got this, God. It's good. I'm, I'm fine. Until we finally get hit with a struggle. And our eyes are open to the fact that we do need a power greater than us, not just to clean up our messes, but to get us to our truest purpose in life that's only found in relationship with God and with others. The first week of this series, we talked about our calling here at Community of Grace to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples. We learned that as student learners of Jesus, we're not putting our trust in us, knowing it all or getting it all right, but in Jesus' love for the people around us. It's trusting that that gives us courage to invite someone else to get to know him themselves. Last week, we learned about how Abraham was called by God to step out in faith and follow, just starting his adventure in relationship with God at age 75. And that tells us it's never too late to grow in our relationship with God, that we can't let our past history be the issue that holds us back, because in Jesus, God began a new story for us and in us. Trust calls us to take a step, no matter where we are in life. And now this week, we're learning how God can be at work in us even when we're struggling. And I think this is important because many times people think if they're struggling, then God must not care about them or he must have abandoned them. But the truth is God gave this world freedom and with that comes a lot of brokenness. So pretty much if you're alive, you're gonna struggle at some point, that's a given. And the truth is, if God was going to step out of the picture whenever his people were struggling, he would never be in the picture. Most of the stories in the Bible wouldn't exist. But a God who removes himself from his people's struggles is not the God that we see in Jesus Christ. Instead, the God that we see in Jesus Christ is a God who jumps into our mess with both feet to be with us and to offer us hope even beyond our struggle. The place God is most powerfully revealed to show who he is to the world is in when Jesus intentionally chooses to face fear and humiliation and rejection, hideous pain, and ultimately death for us on the cross. 
defeating them all with his resurrection to bring us the gift of his forgiveness and grace and restoration to relationship with God. So if you're in a place of fear or humiliation or rejection or pain, or if you are facing down death, you can know that God has chosen to put himself where you are, that he knows that struggle and he won't abandon you. He's made that a way of hope for you, new life for you on the other side of all of those things because of the restoring power of his saving love. On the cross, Jesus even called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even if you're in a place of asking that question, you don't ask that alone either. Jesus asked it first, and he's been there in that situation, and because he has, you can trust he'll be in it with you until you get to the other side of whatever struggle that is. And that's what the cross and resurrection of Jesus tells us about God's love, that it's stronger even than death, and it doesn't let go. When we invite him into our struggles, he can transform them or transform us through them in ways that we never imagine. And yet so often we allow our issues to keep us from reaching out to the one who could help us through them. So sometimes even in our struggles, we need a wake-up call to know God is with us and we can trust him even there. Are you struggling with something today? Do you need a wake-up call? Do you need to know that you can trust God is with you? Well, today God is teaching that lesson to a guy named Jacob in a pretty startling way. We're looking at the story of Jacob in Genesis 32. It's found on 48 of your Quest Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Jacob got his name, which means he grasps the heel when he was born, clinging to the foot of his twin, because that's what he was literally doing. And unfortunately, that name in the culture also means he deceives. And Jacob lived up to that name. And now why God ever chose this particular guy to call his own is a mystery. <laughs> and of course, that is the point. God's love for this guy, Jacob, is an example of God's grace to choose obviously imperfect and somewhat messed up people like us. Because if I was going to categorize Jacob, I would call him a schemer. You know the type. He's one of those people who seems to be too smart for his own good, because manipulating people just seems too easy to him. He conned his brother Esau out of his inheritance, and then he conned his own father into giving him the family blessing instead of Esau, and then barely got out of town before Esau managed to murder him. He lived in an exile of self-preservation in a distant country, got married, built up his family and fortune, working for his father-in-law, and after a number of years, decided to slip town under cover of darkness to avoid a confrontation about his leaving. And now Jacob learns that his brother Esau heard he's back, and rumor has it he's coming with an army. Time is running out for Jacob. So of course, the very first thing Jacob does is start scheming, thinking, how can I manipulate this situation to my favor? So first he sends waves of gifts for Esau ahead of him, hoping to butter him up. Then he divides his family into two groups and sends them on two different routes, so hopefully half of them can get away, and he can reconnect with whoever survives. And then he stays back to face his brother alone. And when he can think of nothing else to do, he finally turns to God and prays. O oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, save me, I pray, from my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children. Do it for the kids, Lord. <laughs> Have you ever been there? 
turning to prayer as a last resort. Here Jacob is, he's come so far. He ran away from home, he built up a family, built up his own flocks and herds, branched out on his own. To him it must have seemed like he had finally managed to manipulate himself into a place of success, only to hear now his past sins were coming back to blow it all up. Probably something in him was whining, come on, it's not fair. Why now? Why him? But Jacob's wrestling went deeper than that. Because if he was going to look at what brought him to this point, he would have to admit he wasn't on the side of fair. He had done Esau wrong. He had disrespected his family. He had cheated them. He had lied to them. If he was praying to get what he deserved, he wasn't going to like the outcome. You see, when the odds are against you, there's a peace that you can feel when you feel you're completely in the right, whether you actually are or not. But what about when you know that you're not in the right? When you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and you've been waiting for 30 years for this day. When being honest with yourself, you know your prayer only can be for mercy. Lord, please save me, not because I deserve it, because I don't, but because I need it. Well, that's a new place to be for Jacob. And that's what he prays. And scripture tells us that a prayer for mercy given from a humbled heart, God won't turn away. And God answers Jacob's prayer. But in the very last way that he'd expect, as Jacob all alone tries to settle down to rest the night before he'd face his brother, suddenly out of nowhere, a mysterious stranger attacks him. Jacob wrestles with the man. He pours out all his anger and fear and despair and regret and angst. In desperation, he wrestles this strong, apparently untiring figure all night. And there isn't any room left for scheming or schmoozing. You can't schmooze his way out of this. There's only pure, raw, honest, exhausting struggle all night. And finally, as the sun's first ray begins to appear, this man puts Jacob's hip out of joint and says, that's enough, sun's coming up, stop fighting, let me go. But even wounded though, Jacob won't give up. No, he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You have to admire his chutzpah. The mysterious figure then asks him, what's your name? Jacob, he answers, which means deceiver. And the stranger answers him, no, that's not who you are, not anymore. You are Israel, which means one who struggles, who wrestles with God. For you have striven with God and humans and have prevailed. The stranger blesses him and is gone. And as the sun rose, out limped a dazed and exhausted Jacob, no longer the crafty, manipulative schemer, but a man who has finally wrestled through his fears. And all his anxious energy has been spent and replaced by a kind of strange calm. And with the wonder still clinging to them, this day he had so dreaded finally dawns. And over the horizon comes his brother Esau with 400 men. And Jacob limps out, humbly bowing to the ground. And Esau, a huge, hairy mountain of a man, terribly wronged by this brother, ran for Jacob, threw his arms around his neck, and embraced him. And they both wept, while 400 soldiers standing at the ready looked on. Now, is that what Esau originally put together this army of 400 to do? Witness a tearful reunion? Somehow I doubt it. But seeing Jacob wounded, humble, 
Esau's heart was softened. But what would have happened if Jacob had faced Esau with his heart, the powder keg of fear and adrenaline it was the night before? What if Jacob had tried to throw down his brother the way he had that stranger or confront him with a self-righteous bravado or try to schmooze him the usual tactics that Esau so despised? Do you think anything of Jacob's would have survived? But that man he used to be was not the man who met Esau that morning. This was Israel who'd wrestled honestly with God and emerged as the kind of man he needed to be for real restoration to be possible. And this is the strange kind of way God sometimes answers our prayers. You see, Jacob begged God, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. And how could he know the way God would answer that prayer would to be as to send an angel to beat him in the night? And yet that was exactly what Jacob needed. In that nighttime encounter, for the first time in his life, Jacob stops avoiding, stops excusing, stops schmoozing, and honestly engages the struggle with all that he is. And although it leaves him wounded, it also leaves him healed. He realizes he can't manipulate his way through life, avoiding confession or struggle, and find peace, true life, or any real relationship. But up until now, he's gotten away with it. Kind of. Up until now, nobody's loved him enough to make him face what he's been avoiding and push through it to find life on the other side. But now Jacob finds the only strength that will match the strength of his own stubbornness is that of God's stubborn love for him. And God does this now because Jacob, at the end of his rope, finally invited him in. When a child is having a tantrum, and all their fears and frustrations can't be held inside anymore. Telling them to calm down doesn't work, does it? Instead, what God does is call it all out. He said, here's the deal, Jacob. If you need to fight, fight with me. Because I'll match your strength. I'll keep you engaged until all your excuses, all your anger, all your attempts at manipulation are spent. Until you can actually be still enough to hear me again, until you can see I have so much more I want for you than what you can manipulate and scheme your way into, but it's going to take trusting me. And when Jacob arrives at that morning with the Lord who could only save him by the bringing him to the end of his own strength, Jacob can now do nothing but trust. And finally trusting, he finds out the most unexpected, most amazing thing, that it's only through the struggle that he finds peace with God and his brother, forgiveness, reconciliation, a new beginning, free from fear, and it absolutely blew Jacob away. Because for 30 years, he's been stewing, fearful, planning, scheming, lying, avoiding to not have to go through this. And then through one night of confronting real struggle and honest confession, it's over. Never in his wildest dreams did he figure the day would end like this. But from this moment on, the story of Jacob's faith begins a whole new legacy of the people of Israel, the ones who wrestle with God. Now notice, they didn't name themselves that. God named them that. And I think it's significant God doesn't call his people the holy ones or the perfect ones or even the good ones. He calls his people those who wrestle with me. Because people of faith are honest wrestlers and we don't wrestle alone. So what does this tell us about God? 
about his relationship with us and what he wants for you today. Well, first of all, if you're wrestling, if you're struggling with God, this story tells us that God looks at you and says, yep, that's one of mine. If you need to fight, fight with me. And he wants you to know that he's in there with you as long as you need him to be. And secondly, Jacob's story brings up the question for me, how much energy do we put into avoiding struggle, avoiding confrontation or hard conversations? Because Jacob spent years trying to avoid the pain of confessing to one he's wronged, trying to pretend he didn't need forgiveness, and it became his own prison. So are there conflicts that the Holy Spirit is showing you that you need to weigh into or conversations you need to have that you spend all kinds of energy trying to avoid having because you'd rather avoid than struggle through it? You see, sometimes God's answer to our prayer for saving isn't to help us avoid struggle but to put us into it so that we can see he'll help us through it to really find life and freedom on the other side. In the 12 steps of AA, there is a very powerful step which calls a person to make a fearless and searching moral inventory of your life, to be honest about your real self, acknowledge the wrongs that you've done to others, and then to go and confess them to those you've wronged. That's powerful, life-changing stuff. And sometimes it results in reconciliation, and sometimes it doesn't. But either way, the act of ripping off the scab of something you've not faced and bringing it to the light brings a freedom and a healing that leads to peace. You see, when you humbly give God the opportunity to be at work in you, it's amazing what he can do. Jacob prayed that God would save him from Esau. God knew the way that that would happen was not by manipulating Esau, but by changing the heart that had been made available to him, Jacob's heart. You see, sometimes God answers our prayers by changing us. And sometimes God's answer to prayer is not to end the struggle, but to promise us his faithfulness through it. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 talked about a thorn in the flesh that he had, something that bothered him that three times he asked the Lord to take away. But the Lord's answer to that was no, because the struggle, whatever it was, was serving a purpose in Paul's life, helping Paul to fully rely on God instead of himself. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Sometimes for us, the only way forward is to wrestle through, but you can know that you don't wrestle alone. And Jesus knows that better than anyone because in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night Jesus would be arrested, beaten, sentenced to die, Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup of suffering pass from me but if it will only pass if I drink it, your will be done. The Son of God knows what it's like to have to walk through the struggle, and he saw it through all the way to completion for you and for me. And because he did, we can trust there's no road we will ever walk where he won't be with us too when we turn to him. So today, first of all, are you actively in a struggle? Your God is inviting you to today, beloved, that if you need to fight, fight with me. Because God's people are those who wrestle with him. He's inviting you into your struggle with him. And if this is you, take time today to fight with God. Because he can handle it. And in that honest struggle, you might just see his love for you show up 
in a new way. And secondly, is the Holy Spirit convicting you today? Have you been avoiding or manipulating or lying to yourself or others to keep from facing a confession you need to make or a hurt you need to address or a conversation you need to have? If that's you, take time today to ask God what path you need to start down, what struggle you need to work through to get to the other side of healing and freedom, not around but through with his hand in yours because the Lord wants life abundantly for you. Will you trust him to follow? And third, are you wondering today, is the Lord really with me? If he could really even want you as his own. Well, then I'm praying that in your wrestling, you will be stubborn like Jacob, that you will be bold enough to say to Jesus, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And hear Jesus counter that, asking, tell me your name. Who are you really? When you face your fearless and searching moral inventory of your truest self, what do you answer? Wounded? Sinful? Failure? Fraud? And hear him answer, no, that's not who you are. Not anymore. Because Jesus has given you a new name. You are redeemed. And your name is beloved. Because you are one who struggles with God and others and prevails, not because of your goodness or your strength, but because Jesus has entered the struggle for you by the cross, and he has given you his resurrection victory, and he will be with you to the end and into the new beginning. So today, whether your struggles are bricks or wrestlings, they're only one small chapter in the story of what he wants to do in you. Are you ready? to let him into your struggle. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Thank you, Lord, that your love for us came first, that in your love you won't let go of us, that you loved us so deeply, so completely, that you went all the way to the cross all the way to the grave, all the way to resurrection life to show us there's no place we can be where you won't be with us. And so, Lord, give us the courage. Give us the stubborn love, Lord, to hold on to your promise and to see where it is that you're leading us into life. Help us, Lord, to trust you and to see what you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please rise.